come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your poltergeist, Kinsey. I'm your poltergeist, Donna. I'm your poltergeist, Mac. And this week, we are discussing the 1994 John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, It's an older film, so we'll be in spoiler territory pretty fast. And it is what has been dubbed the third film of his Apocalypse trilogy. So let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Had you seen it before? I had not seen it before. I will say that for most of the movie, I really didn't like it. I would have liked it better if not for Miss Inappropriate Sexy Times. She was a badly written character, IMO. And if they had either just plucked her out or written her differently, I would have appreciated her role. But then we got to the end and the end actually made up for a lot of Miss Inappropriate Sexy Times. So I I wasn't bothered by Miss Inappropriate Sexy Times, although I agree with your assessment of her. I'm almost I almost have an opposite reaction. Like I really like the film up until the end. The end feels like it kind of runs out of steam for me. Like they didn't know what to do, so they just threw like, everything at the wall and let's just let's just do this. Yeah, like uh uh, maybe he goes to the theater and is watching this movie and like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> Can he laugh maniacally? Cause there's something unknowable there. What's that unknowable thing? I don't know. It's unknowable. Just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen it before. Uh, obviously my, my summer long carpenter Renaissance, this was included in there. The thing that I remember most from it though, oddly enough is the TV commercials from when it was first released and in fact, it's on the Blu-ray, like this reel of TV commercials. So I found them and I'm like, I remember that because like there's this like soup. I'm, it might have been Don LaFontaine, but I don't remember if it was or not. But uh, voiceover like in 1978, he scared you with Halloween. In 1983, he terrified you with Christine. Now the master of horrors back. And then you get a bunch of quick cuts from there. And I'm like, what a weird two movies to pick from him but then i'm remembering those are the only two that were ever profitable so it was a little bit like the studio saying like in 1978 he made an obscene amount of money with halloween in 1983 he had a reasonable return on investment for columbia <laughs> with christine now new line thinks hey maybe he's due for another one <laughs> oh that found my funny bone mac oh <laughs> Uh, I have seen this before. I've seen it a couple of times and I always purposely space it out. Like it's not one of my go-tos of his. And then uh, I, I'm always conflicted. Like if I like it or I don't like it. Cause sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And sometimes it's uh, inappropriate sexy time that bothers me. Other times it's the ending. Cause I see both problems. I never, I you, really you have, 
I, both of our reactions, depending on when you've watched it. Yeah. yeah, like, I don't know how I feel. Like, there are bits of this film that I do like, and, you know, we'll we'll de- we'll get into that. But then there are other things, like, I don't disagree with it running out of steam. And I think some of it, which I noticed this time, it's not written by Carpenter. It's written by somebody else. And it's mm. written by the head of New Line, Michael DeLuca. Oh, is oh. that who that is? Oh, yeah. okay. I do. Well, you know what? You think he would have then not cut the budget by $5 million to do one of the executives. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he's the head, but yeah. Okay. The, all right. Yeah. Well, then that's okay. That's all right. I'll, but I know that's a thing is that the budget was cut by $5 million. So instead of 15, it was 10 million. And there was supposed to be a big third act of the church swallowing up Hobbs end, I guess. And they couldn't do it. Cause new line was like, we're new line. We don't have Warner brothers money. There's that. And eventually they did have Warner brothers movie. Cause they got swallowed up by uh, Warner brothers. <laughs> right. But I think also possibly, cause there's this moment here with new line where they are huge into meta horror fiction because it's literally the same year they released new nightmare. Is it really? Like, I always think... In the same 12-month period, they had did this movie and New Nightmare. They might as well just come out and said, okay, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, not a big hit. We're just going to do meta horror movies from now on. (laughs) But I think New Nightmare came out first, if I'm not mistaken, and it underperformed. So while, while this was in production, so they cut the budget saying, hey, we can probably clear New Nightmare money with this. The budget has to be x amount of money back okay okay i'm glad you told me that it was not written by carpenter because i i had a whole bit i was working on where we set john carpenter down and went john johnny johnny c have you ever met a woman well it also goes back to and we mentioned this on prince of darkness uh deborah hill's missing Oh, okay. 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 I mean, because you don't you don't just put glasses on a pretty woman. I mean, she she's she's like she's like a character. When she first showed up, I was like, oh, this is a joke character. This is a joke character because we've taken a pretty woman and put her hair up and put glasses on her. Oh, this is a this is a, oh no, she's we're supposed to take her seriously. Oh. I was partially right and partially wrong. Yes, this movie came out shortly after New Nightmare, but it had already been in the can by the time New Nightmare came out. So, Okay. One of the things I do really enjoy about this film, the practical effects are done by KNB. And so anytime I get to see those those guys and those those letters, that makes me very happy because they do good and sometimes gonzo work in the best way. So which apparently the elder monsters at the end that are chasing Sam Neill, uh, that is just, they're not individual puppeteers. That is basically just a truck with monsters on it that is mm-hmm. chasing him. And yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that works. That's pretty Practical cool. effects. Yeah. I love them. I, I hesitate to ask, but what was what would IMDb try to say about this? Oh, thank you so much, Mac, for putting me back on track. So our uh, good, good buddies at IMDb want you to know that an insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational. I mean, it turns them into fucking monsters. Yeah. 
but I wouldn't have used inspirational. <laughs> that is a weird <laughs> word choice. <laughs> uh, it's just really about Sam Neill going out to the movies for a movie he's been waiting a while to see. Uh, yeah. Sam Neill's day at the movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, that- oh, a new Carpenter's out? Let's go. Is that like Baby's Day Out, but instead a it's bit. Sam Neill's Day Out? Hey, it hey. is interesting that the poster that he that he walks by does have all the right crew, like DeLuca wrote it, Carpenter directed it, and everything. Yeah, it is It is very meta, <laughs> this film. Yeah. The, for a very meta year for New Line. They had the Freddy Krueger money. They were like, you know what? We're going to see what happens. Let's. And the Ninja Turtle money. They were ready to go. Yeah. yeah. You know, since they kept making really offensive IMO uh, comparisons to Stephen King. I'm, I'm trying to decide if Stephen King ever inspired me. And I do enjoy being some Stephen King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Inspired. Did you ever read on writing? Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and Dance Macabre. Dance Macabre. I, I, in fact, I was wondering if he ever mentioned in the Mouth of Madness, in the later editions of Dance Macabre. I'm looking that up now. Because I'd be fascinated to hear what he has to say about it. Yeah. So, yes. Yes, in fact, Stephen King has inspired me. So, But with yes. nonfiction. Not with fiction, though. Well, I'm thinking of some of his, uh, like, like Stand By Me. Or, well, he, what, what he wrote was The Body. The Body has some pretty inspirational stuff in it. So, Shawshank. I think mm-hmm. yeah. has a, has yeah. a inspirational vein going throughout it. Yeah, I would say Stephen King has been inspirational to me. Yeah, okay, okay. I will accept that word choice. Speaking of which, there are a lot of comparisons to Stephen King in this. Uh, I I took a, an online course on segways, and I think <laughs> it was worth every penny I spent on it. So speaking of Stephen King, there's a lot of comparisons to Stephen King in this movie. If anyone would like to speak on that. There certainly are. Yeah. I love that there is so many comparisons for two reasons. One, because Carpenter and King are friends. And two, because if you think when this was made, this is like pinnacle King popularity height. He is, I mean, not saying he still isn't, but this was like juggernaut King. Now, now, Now he's an old man. Yeah. He's an old man and he yells at people at Twitter in the best way. And I'm and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Oh, me too. <laughs> but yeah, this was like tippy top. So the fact that, I mean, of course, they're going to have to compare it to somebody, Sutter Kane to somebody. So yeah, it's going to be King. And I, I just always find like, you know, especially like when they're like, he outsells Stephen King, you know, have better representation. Like, I I love all of that. And it's also got that classic, uh, the the original It miniseries did the same thing, where it was uh, all the books are clearly riffs on King books. Yeah. The the feeling is clearly The Shining, and uh, the thing in the basement is clearly It. Um, yeah. None of those are particularly crucial to the plot that we're seeing unfold here, but those moments are there. Yeah. So, I, I, I know I have mentioned her already but the uh the character of i've, I've forgotten her name miss inappropriate styles. S- styles miss miss inappropriate sexy times yeah i'm just so <laughs> so she's introduced as uh sutter kane's editor 
And I'm not kidding. When she came on screen, I thought she was a joke because she's just, she's, she is, she's, she's like a character you'd see in a porno with clearly a beautiful woman with her hair up and wearing glasses. <laughs> and she's going to, at any moment, take her glasses off and take her hair down and her clothes are just going to fall off. And that, that is the impression I had of her. You spliced too many commas. <laughs> We're going to have to do something about that. <laughs> I took my glasses off for that. For my fellow podcasters and not for you, the podcast listener. Yes, but it was it was very hot. It was it was very, very hot. Steaming. And then they, they go down the road and they... Spend the same night in the same hotel room. I don't know why that would be. That makes no sense. Why they, they would share the budget? A- they couldn't afford two hotel rooms. <laughs> and then when she's trying to talk him into doing something, her go-to strategy is to start kissing him. I mean, I have a lot of strategies to convince someone to do something before I go to kissing. I have a <laughs> lot of steps that I can go through. <laughs> You're not a supporting character in a mid-90s movie, though. <laughs> I mean, Donna, it is Sam Neill. That's some Sam Neill. That's 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 after Jurassic Park. That's some Sam Neill energy. I don't know. I, I think that needs to be in your scientific equation. Listen, Sam Neill from Jurassic Park, good-looking, English, and a scientist. That's, that's... And, and not, still, not not a cerebral scientist, like a get your hands dirty kind of scientist. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's that's some A plus. That's that's some good stuff right there. Still not gonna go to kissing. Okay, that, that's that's not how really I, even in Jurassic Park. I mean, just to not no, even no. solve problems, just recreationally. I'm not saying I don't want to. Ah. I'm saying it's not one of my go-to convince you to do something strategies. It's not a problem-solving technique for you. It's not a problem-solving technique. It's a recreational technique. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so which whoever it was that wrote this thing, let me sit them down in a chair and say, have you ever met an actual woman? In 1994 Hollywood? I would say probably not. Okay. So listen. Listen, my dude. Go talk to some women. They didn't exist in 94 Hollywood. I don't don't think he ever wrote another movie after this. And then she goes off and finds Sutter Kane and is immediately swept away on waves of lust. Apparently I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what she was even doing. Just standing there going, Oh, he wrote, (laughs) he wrote one episode of Star Trek Voyager after that. And uh yeah. It was it was the de-evolution episode. I, I will bet it was it was Threshold with a story by Michael De Luca. Oh my god. You you were doing a goof, but you hit the you hit the target. <laughs> he also I think he got a story credit on Judge Dredd, so the Stallone Judge Dredd? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupidest Star Trek, and I am I am ranking it below Spock's brain and mm-hmm. Neelix's lungs in stupidity. Neelix's lung isn't that bad. It's not great, but it's not in that tier of how. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm better now. Oh, well, I mean, I think there's a lot that has been explained by his writing credit that, yeah, the math checks out. And before this, he did it. He had a writing credit on uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which uh, for my money is easily the worst of those movies. Oh, that's yeah. So he was trying to be a little bit meta and then just the execution was not there. Okay, so now I do have a question for for Johnny C. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Were you just wanting a a vacation house? You just just, just wanted some money and you had some spare time? I love John Carpenter. If John Carpenter were a religion, I would convert. But uh, he's definitely in it for the cash at a certain point. (laughs) Um. He has never voiced any objection to some of the horrors done upon Halloween because, you know, he loves it when a new Halloween movie comes out because he goes out to his mailbox and there's a check. Um, But he's sort of like a weird, dark Buddha of filmmaking to the point where, like, he's moved beyond concerns of whether or not he made a good movie or not. He's like, I have nothing to prove. I'm John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Okay. All right. Fair enough. So this is, if I didn't know when this film came out, that they came out mid-90s, the other thing that gave it away to me was all of the smoking in it. There was so So much smoking. So much smoking. Which is so weird that we look at the 90s now like we would have looked at Mad Men a couple years back. Like, you watch Mad Men, everybody's smoking, you're like, holy shit, they're smoking all the time. And when we were alive and sentient, there was this, the yeah. people were just smoking like chimneys. Yeah. So that's, but it just, it it was one of the things that I noticed and I was like, oh yeah, that was a, that was a thing. That was, that was mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. It was very noticeable. Um, in fact, there was a point, there was a point where we superimposed Sam Neill smoking over somebody else smoking <laughs> and it made me think that's a significant thing. And then like the very next scene, there was someone smoking and I immediately went, Oh, that's not significant. Never mind. Never mind. It's just the nineties. <laughs> we can we talk a minute about the stacked and I do mean stacked supporting cast of this movie. Thank yeah. You. Oh, oh as long you- as I can make one comment about how I had to go to IMDB or, you know, you know, our good friends and Max Nemesis at IMDb, because I was convinced that Dr. Saperstein was Dr. Cox from Scrubs. Absolutely oh, convinced. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And and then it I had to, it wasn't. Yeah. No, no, it yeah. was it was not. But the the expression around the mouth, I was like, is that that Dr. Cox? Mm. No, it's just not. John Glover. John Glover. Okay. Daniel right, Clamp himself. Yep. Um all right, the loaded, the loaded yes. supporting cast. Go ahead. And th- we haven't even mentioned Charlton Heston yet, but uh, you know whose first movie this was? Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. Anakin Skywalker himself. He is the n- paper boy toward the, the end. Paper boy. Yep. It's his first little uh, little movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. The little guy on the bike. All right. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, but. You mentioned uh, mentioned John Glover. I'm never unhappy to see John Glover. I am 
always relieved to see that David Warner is a, is in a movie. Like he's not flawless. Like not every movie he's made is great, but I do submit that you know, again, New Line, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two is a lot better with him in it. So. But they underuse both of those guys. John Glover and David Warner are only in the framing device. And I'm like, no, nah, you could you could spread the wealth with that a little bit more. Maybe make Warner play inappropriate sexy time lady. I would have been in it. It would have been so much more. Yeah, it would have been in, a, a much more interesting sort of riff on that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, uh, Vigo the Carpathian is Simon Wilhelm von Homburg. Because I was just about ready to bring up Vigo was in it. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that was one I had to look up. I'm like, is that Vigo? That's Vigo. And then I'm sure enough, it's Vigo. Well, yeah, this, you got Ghostbusters 2, and he's one of the terrorists in Die Hard. And that's it. That's all you got with that guy. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And then uh, Bernie Casey is another one. He's in another character actor. That's, yeah. He's in it. Like he it. was the history teacher in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm -hmm. He is also from Revenge of the Nerds, the head of the Lambda Charter. He was the first Maquis uh, defector in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is a very stacked supporting cast. Like I said, I had forgotten Charlton Heston was in it. And, right. Uh, and then, well, and even there's like... In the very first scene with Bernie Casey and Sam Neill and the other guy that is committing insurance fraud, that's a carpenter. That that guy is a carpenter staple, especially in the 90s. He's in Village of the Damned. He's one of the, the townsfolk people. I can't remember his name, but he's a carpenter staple. Yeah. Uh, in of, his this little, of, of this era of carpenter. Of this era, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of... A lot of good people, and even the guy playing Peter, Sutter Kane. Peter Jason, I think, is the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even the guy playing well, Sutter Kane. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but he's he's in a bunch of. He's another character actor, and he's kind of, especially during this time, he's doing a lot of horror films. Like I had seen him in, oh gosh, the it was late '80s, the Demi Moore film where he's basically where he's basically playing jesus because she's gonna have the uh she's gonna have the antichrist baby and he's trying to get her not to have it like the movie's weird okay so just um i'm just also gonna submit to evidence the reason i watched it michael bean's in it so we're just gonna leave it that's so I there mean, you go yeah i mean a valid reason to watch a movie yeah uh and and, well, and, and reason enough to for me to assume that you would have watched it right so yeah. i just sure, you sure, know sure. um but yeah, no, there's a lot of a lot of interesting actors that sometimes you don't see anymore in modern movies. Like, mm. you know, that just like they have an interesting look and they're just there's an interesting energy to them. And there's yeah. a there's a lot of that in this film. So off mic, we were talking not to completely jump around, but uh, we were talking about uh, the infamous black crayon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they they make a whole meal out of that conversation when when David Warner shows up. That did he ask for anything? A single black crayon. Now hold on, <laughs> the un and the infinite, yes, the infinite unending black crayon. How many black crayons did you handle? Because he did some work 
there. I'm watching it. Laura comes in, in and out as I'm watching it. And she's like, well, that the black crayon's not going to write on his skin like that. And I'm like, that's fair point. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Laura. Because I had that note as like, that's mm-hmm. not going to write on skin. Like, what has he done to that crayon to get black eyeliner level of... Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. A single, a single black crayon. And yeah. they make a meal out of it. <laughs> like, they, they could just say, oh, we asked for a black crayon, then a black eyeliner, then some black paint. Then, like, he, he was on a whole black theme back there. So just bear, like, brace yourself. When you go in there, there's going to be some stuff. And, you know, we have a, 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 a an idea about therapy here where if somebody asks for something, we just give them, give it to them and let them do whatever they want with it. And that's therapeutic somehow we're very open on on different therapeutic practices we're just we want to see what happens what's going to happen (laughs) yeah that black crayon like i mean yeah he had some time on his hands but that's not a single black crayon by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) did we and maybe i missed it or did they ever say where david warner came from like which agency he was with like he, because he has a very official badge, yeah, that he's wearing. No, okay, I, not that I remember. I was just wondering if we had any clarification, or it's just random government B movie. I'm from the authorities, and I'm yeah. here to investigate the happenings. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. So apparently, to me, on <laughs> during this watch that when the books become alive is where it goes off the rails to me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just going over my notes and it's, that's the, that's, that's a note is that when the books become alive, it's where it goes off the rails. So. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that um, I, you know, I've often mentioned that I'm, I'm the skeptic. I'm probably going to be the first one to die in the horror movie because I'm not going to believe it's a horror movie. Sam Neill in this film carries on the skeptic role well past the point that I would have been like, oh no, we are totally in a horror movie and we've, we've got to, we've got to start running and hiding. Um, Like his ability to hold on to skepticism is, um, He's attacked. He's attacked by a man with an axe with his pupils coming apart in his with eyes. Weird eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I would have. Yeah, that would have been enough for me. I've been like, okay, something fucked up's going on. Just the fact that I got attacked by an axe. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think the painting would have done it for me. Mm. Yeah. Possib- possibly not, because I think I still would have been like they're projecting that some way. But um, I don't know. I think I think the painting would have possibly done me in. I think I would have been the axe. I think I would have uh, that would have gotten me. But then again, I'm always just kind of I'm more, you know, my skepticism scale is not like real far. But, you know, I'll I'll give you a healthy amount. Well, see, you know, a guy with an axe. And that that could be some sort of weird defect that that caused his eyes to look like that. No, no, no. The guy with the axe and the weird. De- In fact, the weird defect could have caused a brain problem that caused him to be a guy with an axe. Okay, no, that I I would have gotten past the guy with the axe, no problem at all. 
But uh, you, you wouldn't have been alarmed by the fact that you were the victim of an almost axe attack. Oh, sure. I would have been totally okay. alarmed with that, but I wouldn't have chalked that up to anything supernatural. Gotcha. I would have been like, my God, I was almost attacked by a maniac with an axe. Because <laughs> Trent, as played by Sam Neill, is not terribly bothered by the axe attack. I mean, he is he is an insurance claim investigator, so it's probably not the first time he's been attacked by a weapon. I'm willing to bet just a because weapon, sure, but a stranger with an axe. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll give you that. Yeah. Now, granted, this is the world of Sutter Kane, so maybe it's a weirder world than we're giving it credit for. Could be. Could very well be. If it is the world of Sutter Kane, then it's just happening in a book. It's not the real world. Or in a movie. It's Sam Neill's already watching. Yeah, yeah. But it but it's just a movie. It's not real. So you're saying if it's a movie now, does that mean Sam Neill's watching us now? I'm saying mm-hmm. that it's not it's not reality. That gotcha. it is that 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 Sam Neill is living in a fictional world and not the real world. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Speaking of <laughs> Sam Neill, I like that he got to use his New Zealand, his actual accent. Mm. I thought he was British. See, there you go. Nope, he is a Kiwi for him do we have anything else because i feel like we're just kind of we're running a little out of steam on this one we are running out of steam which which is you know thematically appropriate yeah Uh, (laughs) we're we're getting to the third act yeah we're like i don't know i don't know what to tell (laughs) you just a bunch of weird shit you know so just like what was up with the kid slash old person on the bike just what was up with that just weirdness not much yeah I just figured it was something in a Sutter Kane novel. Like, basically, that's all, like, anything that, that's what I did with me and my brain, just when there was something weird just that was happening. It's like, oh, it's probably in one of the books that we've seen covers for. Like, yeah. And, but we did, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and it, like, we talked about how the ending runs out of steam. It also bothers me throughout the whole ending. You have all these, you have all these radio broadcasts like emergency services are suspended and all that sort of stuff. Okay, emergency services are suspended, but FM radio is fine. <laughs> emergency services are suspended, but the movie theater still has fresh popcorn. <laughs> he made the popcorn. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. All right. Well. So for quote, we really, we went back and not really back and forth. There was a lot of quotes that, that we had on our list, just kind of overlapping. Uh, and a lot you, because we had talked about it to do with Stephen King and horror writing, like God's not supposed to be a hack horror novelist. Uh, you think a guy who outsells Stephen King could find better representation. There's because there was a lot of King jokes in this film. Uh, but we ended up uh, landing on, which is the marquee quote, and Macula, you've got it. Do you read Son of Cain? Because <laughs> they, that is, we hear that so much mm-hmm. in in the movie. All, you know, everyone is, is asking that, like, oh, you don't, like, we hear it so much, it's almost a joke. Yeah. You know? And, and any conversation with the movie, like I was looking up various facts while we were doing it, and occasionally it would drift to discussion boards, like saying, like, hey, did Stephen King ever say what he thought about the movie? And somebody just brings up the movie, and somebody has to interject with, do you read Sutter Kane? So, yeah. 
But do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> no, I can't read Sutter Kane, which goes to my, the, my poll suggestion that didn't get <laughs> added in. Uh, there's lots of fictional books I would like to read. I wouldn't mind reading some of Sutter Kane's books, but they are unavailable to us. In this reality. True. Donna, you have our rule. I mean, it's just a general good rule for life, but in this movie in particular, don't commit insurance fraud. Yeah. And and just in case you missed the subtlety, this whole problem started when they sent Sutter Kane away so that they could generate publicity. And then they went ahead and, and submitted an insurance claim to generate a little more publicity. So, but in fact, Sutter Kane was supposed to be fine and come back in a big publicity blitz. But instead, he found his fictional town of Hobbs End and found the mouth of madness. Eldritch Horror? Elder God? Eldritch Horror. He found Eldritch Horror and then decided to inflict it on his reality. Man, I hate it when that happens. It's the worst. (laughs) And I have our poll question. Which is, when do you think Styles, a.k.a. Miss Inappropriate Sexy Time, got infected by Kane? She always was. Yeah. I From the first time we saw her. But then you start, if you go down that path, then was she fighting him? Because she talks about that when she tries to warn Sam Neill to leave Hobbs End. When she's like, I, I, I still have a little bit of control. You need to go. So then does that mean because she was further away from Kane, was she fighting him and kind of holding him at bay? There is an interesting thing that happens with a chronic disease where you actually will look like you're okay because you're just so used to having that disease that it's your normal state. And it's not that you don't have the disease, it's just your normal state. So you have developed ways of coping with the disease um since she's his editor and that's how you get infected is by reading the works she has been infected the whole time but it's her normal state so that's just how she functions so i don't think he's exerting any control on her at the beginning because she's doing what he wants her to do which is get john trent and get him to Hobbs End. And she's doing that. However, once they get there, John Trent is not cooperating. And that's when he starts exerting more control over her. And that's why we start seeing some inappropriate behavior from her. Okay. That's my feeling. I don't think about that she is already reading his work. Because I... I was leaning but you guys have made really good points i was leaning more to that it's when he physically touches her and shows her the end of his book is that kind of really when it gets going but you guys have both made interesting points that yeah she's been reading been reading him from the get and just not having to exert control until they get to hobbs end so i like that all right Who wants to go first on Happy Place? I just learned yesterday that there is a season two of the new Quantum Leap. I haven't watched any of it, but it exists and that makes me happy. 
I haven't watched any of it either, but yeah. I'm glad it makes you happy. I'm having a hard time getting excited about it without Bacula, but I mean, yeah, me too. Yeah. But still. No, I'm with you. Bacula. Uh halfway through the semester, there was a bit of a traffic jam of projects due, etc. Uh this week I figured I'd be scheduled like hour to hour uh for the whole week and Naturally, I got everything pretty much done by about Wednesday afternoon. So, yeah. Nice. Good job. Yeah. So my happy place is Editor Billy, because he surprised me very well this week. So uh, as you guys know on the podcast, I freaking love Halloween. (laughs) And so we decorate our yard pretty gnarly every year, you know, since we've moved into the house. And... Uh, in the neighborhood, somebody bought a 12-foot skeleton. And so I have been talking, talking, talking about this 12-foot skeleton, you know, so much to the fact that in telling him that Finn and I notice it <laughs> all the time when we walk. And so we got talking and actually found out that Home Depot does a 12-foot ghost that lights up. And it's like, yeah, that'd look really cool, but kind of already did budget and stuff like that. So it's like, oh, we'll do it, you know, next year. Add be a you know piece that we add next year. Yeah, he ordered it and so <laughs> and put it up. And I came come home Wednesday, and there it is in my front yard, and it's glorious. And I was just very surprised. And just every time I drive into my yard, it just it makes me makes me smile, it makes me happy to see my my twelve foot ghost that is scary AF <laughs> in my little That's cemetery. <laughs> and. We are still on Twitter at Beyond Cabin on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. We're Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Our website and Blue Sky username is Beyond the Cabin in the Woods.com. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, and Blue Sky as at Callista77. I am on Blue Sky at DragonGoblin.com. I'm on Instagram at DragonGoblin. There's no I in Goblin. I am at Party Apocalypse on Spoutable and Blue Sky. Twitter exists, but there's not going to be anything new there until Twitter sorts its shit out. And I, notice I'm not calling it X. So we're like right there, right off yeah. the right out of the gate. Number one on the list. Uh, PartyApocalypse.com contains this show and other fine podcasts, including The Holodeck is Broken, uh, Disorganized Criminal Minds podcast, and full runs of The Fourth Wall, As the Myth Turns, and Friendables, Two Friends Talking About Hannibal Lecter, books, blogs, movie reviews, and nothing else. The end. As always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for making us sound fantastic and professional. We do appreciate everything that you do for us. Love you, Billy. And thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us if you aren't doing so already. Mash that button. And don't read the Latin. But do you read Sonic Cain? Do you know what horror is? <laughs>